Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Hey, we've been on this series called uh, Basic Training, the Making of a Soldier. And this is week five. If this is your first week, where have you been? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you're watching online and this, you've tuned in for the first time, you can go under our website or you can get on our YouTube channel and you can get caught up and watch the previous few weeks and uh, find out what God has been saying. The sermon notes are available there in your worship guide if you want to pull those out, if you want to follow along with the paper version, or you can get on the YouVersion Bible app and you can get the electronic version of the sermon notes available and download those as well. Here at the, here at the Roads, we believe that the Bible is the living Word of God. So every time we open it, we get excited because we believe God wants to say something to us. So if you have your Bibles, Mount Carmel, E-Roads family, right here in Norris City, get them out this morning. Let's open them to Matthew chapter 28. Woo! Matthew 28. Man, God's got something to say today. That rhymes. Matthew 28. <laughs> Sorry, I just broke out in a rap there and you didn't even know it. Verse 16, are you ready? It says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had, Jesus had appointed for them. I want to read that again. I didn't even see this in the, in the previous four weeks, and I didn't even see it in the first service, but the Holy Spirit just highlighted to me right now. So this is fresh off the cuff. This is why you come to two services. <laughs> then the 11 disciples went away to Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. You're going to find out something here in a little bit. Jesus appointed a mountain for them. Oh, Lord, that was good. Thank you, Lord. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, I love you, and I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it is truly life to those who find it. It is health to all of our flesh. So I say, come, Holy Spirit. Come and move in power and in might today. Lord, I give you liberty and freedom. I pray that this word will truly transform us on the inside out. We look to you. We put you in the center, Jesus. We make it all about you. Teach us how to live your way. We love you in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Now, when we're talking here there's, we, in this series, we've been talking about the making of a soldier. The making of a soldier, we're talking about even a, a follower of Christ. And two things that I think are vitally important for the making of a soldier, or if I was to talk to a new believer or a new Christian, two things are really important. Number one is every soldier, every believer needs to know their mission. Needs to know their mission. This is why you're here. Mission speaks of direction. It speaks of what's the purpose, what's our objective. A soldier wants to know what's the objective of this mission. What are we trying to accomplish? What's the goal? Every person on the earth needs to know your mission. You need to know why you're here. You need to know why you're alive. One of our core values here at the church is we pursue our green. We live from and for his purpose. So I believe every day that we wake up, we need to wake up with an awareness of a mission on our life. I'm not saying I'm going to know every detail of what's going to happen about my life because I sure enough don't know. 
But I believe we need to have some sense of mission and purpose. Why do I get out of bed? Why am I here? Why am I breathing oxygen every day? Because God has a mission for me on the inside of me that's bigger than what's on the outside of me. You need to have something driving you every day. Something when you get up, say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I've got a reason for living. You need to know what your mission is. God's, something, God's got something for you. It's not just being a good person and going to church. There's something bigger than that, something bigger that God's called you to. Do you know your mission? I'll say this. Someday, if you call yourself a Christian, if you believe and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's two different thrones the Bible talks about in eternity. There's the great white throne uh, of judgment, and then there's the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne of judgment is going to be the eternity of heaven versus hell. So now if you've accepted Jesus, then you will not stand before that throne. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and the judgment seat of Christ will be where we will be awarded based on our mission. In other words, what God called us to do on the earth, we will receive our rewards in comparison to or along in agreement with what he's created me to do, not what I decided to do. So I was thinking about this week, and I, I thought, man, Lord, how discouraging would it be for me to stand before Jesus on that day and have to give an account of a mission that I wasn't even aware of? Because I did what Chad wanted to do when Chad wanted to do it. And I go up to stand before God and, hey, thank you, Jesus, I'm into heaven. But he says, here, Chad, here's what I was wanting you to do. Here's what I created you to do. Here's the mission that I had for you. You want me to do that? I didn't do any of that. He said, I know. Come in, you're my son, but you've got a lot to learn about the kingdom of heaven. There's a mission that every person needs to find. You need to find your green. That's not the sermon today, but it's just good to know. Good to know. All right, so now let's go. So number one, you need to know our mission. Everybody say mission. Number two, you need to know the rules of engagement. I think this is vitally important right now more than any time in history. Every believer needs to know the rules of engagement which speaks to authority. One of the biggest challenges in our walk with Christ is not knowing our authority in Christ. What does this uh, rules of engagement mean? It means when, where, how, and against whom force may be used what actions soldiers may take on their own authority and what directives may be issued by their commanding officer. This is our spiritual authority. We need to know the spiritual chain of command in our walk with Jesus. You need to know what you have authority over. You need, have, need to know what you as a son of God or a daughter of God, what you can command to go, what you can take authority over, what you can exercise, when, where, how. You got to realize there's spiritual authority that's uh, available to us in Christ, not independent of Jesus, not over people. It's spiritual authority. Too many times in, in our spiritual walk with Christ, we don't know what we have a right to say no to. And so we just accept everything because someone's told us that God's sovereign. So if it's happening, it's because he wants it, to wants it to happen. So you just got to deal with it. Well, everything that's happened in your life is not what God wants to happen. I'm not saying God's not sovereign, but in God's sovereignty, he created a land, a region called free will. And he gave principalities and powers even free will. How else could angels walk away from him? How else could Lucifer walk away from God? Because he created free will. So this is why we got to understand there's certain authority that we have to exercise and utilize in our life. So here's our general mission. You're saying, Chad, what's my mission then? In general, all of us have this mission. Here it is. Are you ready? Our general mission is to influence culture with the kingdom of God under the authority of Jesus. Every single person 
This is our general mission in life, what we're supposed to do, why we're breathing. We're supposed to influence culture with the kingdom of God under the authority of Jesus. You say, well, I thought that's the preacher's job. No, our job in general, once we become a Christian, our job is to influence culture to match the kingdom of God under the authority of Jesus. That's our general mission. Now, we're going to have unique missions within that, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. So notice how Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He connected those two places with his authority. I believe this is vitally important in our life, too. To remember, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So his authority connects those two realms. You need to know that. His authority connects those two. So what's in heaven is connected now to what's happening on the earth. Jesus' authority brings those two together. That's for, okay, okay, just making sure. Some of you nodding, some of you are like. So, so what's our mission? So what's our mission? Verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now I clarified this last week to say that the word make disciples in English is kind of incorrectly translated because it looks like the verb is make and disciples are what we're supposed to make. Make disciples, make verb, disciples, direct object. But in the Greek language, the original, it's one word. Make disciples is one word and it's a verb. It's mathoteuo and it means to literally teach, train, to, or instruct as a disciple. So it's an action we do, not just a person we are. Jesus said, go disciple. Go disciple. Go teach, train, and instruct people as a disciple. So, in other words, I become a disciple. Now I go and I teach, train, and instruct others as one. What does that mean? He's saying go. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing. He knew we were going to go to work. So he said, as you go to work, disciple. He knew you're going to go to school. So as you go to school, disciple. He knew you're going to go on vacation. As you go on vacation, disciple. We don't leave Jesus at home when we go on vacation. Maybe that's another topic we never addressed. But, but we, we, we knew that he was going, we were going to go to the store and we we're going to go get gas and we we're going to go to the mall or we're going to go, maybe not so much the mall anymore, but we we're going to go. He's just saying, wherever you go, disciple on your way. In other words, live like Jesus. So we've got to realize that that's our assignment, that's our purpose, that's why we're here. When I accept the responsibility of discipling, it makes me a better disciple. This is important. Let me give you an example. Have any of you ever, any of you had to, let me try that again. Have any of you ever had to lead a connect group or teach a Sunday school class or lead a devotional or maybe even preach a sermon? When you knew you had the responsibility of speaking for something else, preparing something, what was your walk with Jesus like before that? <laughs> all of a sudden you're praying all the time. You're reading your Bible. You're making sure to connect with God. Oh, the pressure. I've got to have something ready. I'm preparing. So you're praying more. You haven't read your Bible in a month. But that week you're reading it. You're preparing because you've, you've got the take five that week at your youth group. So you've got to be ready to go. What is that? When we understand the responsibility that God wants to speak through us, we stay connected to him. Now if we understand that God wants to disciple through you every day, we stay connected to him. You may never preach a sermon, but every day of your life you preach a sermon. 
Every day of your life, you're living out the gospel. You're living out a purpose. So God's saying, when you understand and receive the responsibility of of discipling, it makes me a better disciple. I live my life differently. I prepare differently because I know that God wants to use me as a disciple. So once we become a disciple, our mission is to disciple. It's our mission, all of our mission. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a believer. You're in Christ. Old things passed away. All things become new. Wonderful. New creation. Great. Now look at verse 18. Now. He says now. Now what? Now that you become a believer, now that you become a new creation in Christ, now here's what's happened. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us, given us. Everybody say given us. Given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, wait a minute. When we're born again, we're reconciled to God through Jesus. And then he turns around and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. The word reconcile means to restore proper relations in what has been broken. So God reconciled us to him through Jesus. What does that mean? Our relationship with God had been broken. But Jesus came and broke down the wall of separation and made peace between God and man, Ephesians chapter 2. So now there's a restored relationship to the Father through Jesus. It says that word also means to replace hostility with peace, to exchange money. Whenever we would travel in the nations on a mission trip, uh, there would be a time during the trip where you'd have to bring your cash, and if you wanted to buy stuff, you would have to exchange it with their money. So you would take your American dollar and you would change it, exchange it with the money. So you go and you have to negotiate the rate or what they're offering, and so you give what you have and you receive what they have. This is what God's saying happens when we reconcile, that we exchange what we have and we receive what he has. God's wanting to make some exchanges in our lives where we give up what we have and we receive what he has. We give up our fear and we receive his comfort. We give up our anxiety and our worry and we receive his peace. That's reconciling back to God. And God had the audacity to give the ministry of reconciliation to you to me. He says, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. So what are we supposed to do? As believers in Christ, it is our responsibility. Let me read it this way. It goes on to say this way. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It doesn't say God was in Christ reconciling the elect to himself. He was reconciling the world to himself. Everybody. Reconciling the world, that means nations. Not imputing their trespasses to them. Oh, anybody thankful that God doesn't count their trespasses against them anymore because of the blood of Jesus? I'm thankful for that. And has committed to us, here we go again, committed to us, that word committed means to assign a duty or responsibility to. He's committed an an assignment, a duty, a responsibility to us. What is that? It is the word of reconciliation. So he's committed to you and I a duty, a responsibility to bring peace to people, to make an exchange with people, to bridge the gap with people, to restore broken relationships. He's given you and I that ministry and that word of reconciliation. Notice what it says. Now then we are ambassadors 
for Christ. What does it mean to be an ambassador? That word means to function as a representative of a ruling authority. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through. No, no, come on, get in. As though God were pleading through. As God himself was pleading through. Through us. God's using you. He's pleading through you to build relationships back, to restore fellowship again. You and I, were the ambassadors. Well, God's going to change this nation if he wants to. He wants to, and he wants to use you to do it. He wants to use me. He's imploring. He's pleading through us. He's imploring on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So how do we reconcile? Who do we disciple? Who do we disciple? Notice what it says. Go, therefore, and disciple nations. Now, who are nations? Do we have the responsibility? With what's happening in the United States, it can seem overwhelming to the body of Christ. Like, we're never going to change this. It's too big. It's too big a problem. When it says nations, here's what the word nation means. It simply means a large group of people based on kinship, culture, and common traditions with physical and geographical ties. Sounds overwhelming until you break it down. It really just means people groups, groups of people. So he says, go, therefore, and disciple people groups. So what does that mean for you and for me? That means you disciple your people. You disciple your people group, your circle of influence, the people you know. You're not responsible for discipling people in a foreign country unless God gives you a connection or an assignment to fund, you can support financially or whatever, but you and I clearly have the responsibility to disciple our family, our friends, our circle of influence, our coworkers. We have that responsibility. You and I, we are ambassadors for God. To teach, train, and instruct. So now, we're going to disciple nations. How do we do it? Same way you eat an elephant. One bite at a time. There's a discouragement in the body of Christ because they think it's impossible. I'm telling you what God wants to do in the earth is not impossible. Stop watching the news. You will get discouraged and defeated because you think it's impossible. God wants to do a work that nobody knows what's doing. The news is not going to report what God is doing in the world. What God is doing in the world is greater than what the news is doing. God has an agenda that's bigger. God is bigger than the news. He's bigger than any agenda in the world. So we've got to understand that and be encouraged by it. Be encouraged by it. But here's the, the, the mountains of influence in our culture that we need to transform. Here, I'm going to give you seven of them. Seven mountains of influence in our culture. And when I give you these, I want you to start thinking about what are the mountains that I'm called to. Number one, the arts and entertainment and sports. Number two, the economy. Three, education. Four, family. Five, government. Six, media and communications. Seven, religion. When people in these individual mountains of influence experience transformation, we will experience transformation of the culture in these seven mountains of influence. Individuals experiencing transformation in their own life is going to begin to change the culture in that mountain of influence. Here's the problem. The church, may I give you seven of them, remember? And one of them was religion. The problem was the church, the body of Christ, thought that the religion mountain was the holy mountain and that all the other six were secular. So they thought that the six leave that to the world and the religion one is God's mountain. But I came to tell you it was God correct to me. He said, Chad, stop sacrificing my mountains. They are all my mountains. 
The religion mountain is not my only mountain. The education mountain is my mountain. Arts and entertainment mountain is my mountain. Media is my mountain. He's telling the body of Christ that we are not just to sit in the religion mountain and bless and sing ourselves into some type of glory and hope God raptured us out of these evil six mountains. No, we are to influence all seven mountains of influence. We're supposed to infiltrate them. See, the problem is, I'll, I'll put the blame some on my people. People that lead, maybe pastors or teachers, they made the religion mountain the focal point so that they, some of them, could be the king of the mountain. I'm going to give a percentage number, but I'm, I'm going to, it's going to be not exact, but less than 3% of the population is called to do what I do. Less than 3%. The Bible says not many of you should desire to be teachers of the word because you'll receive a, a stricter judgment. <laughs> so just let me bless you with that. But here's the thing. If less than 3% are called to do what I'm doing, that means over 97% of the spreading of the gospel of discipling of nations comes from the other people. The problem is the world looked to the 3% and thought you disciple the world, but that's not kingdom. The kingdom is that the 97, you all listening to me, you will do far more than me this week in discipling the nations because there's a greater percentage of you than there are of me. You go into your influences, you go into your mountain, and you begin to disciple according to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And we will impact culture, not from the pulpits, but from the offices, from the school, from the, wherever you are. Less than 3%. The church is supposed to lead the world, not avoid the world. Jesus brought a gospel of the kingdom, not just a gospel of salvation. Here's what I believe God's wanting to speak into our hearts. He's wanting to remind the church that I didn't call you to come out of the world. I called you to be in the world, just not of the world. And what we did is we came in and we sacrificed these other mountains and we allowed other people to determine the culture of those mountains and then we're shocked and offended when the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom culture is not operating in that mountain. It's because we got on our one mountain, huddled around it, sung kubaya and wondered why the media is not exalting Jesus Christ. Well, we need to get back into that mountain and say, wait a minute, this mountain belongs to Jesus. Jesus. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He prayed, this is the way I want you to think. He said, this way I want you to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, he said, I want you to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, where was the authority of Jesus? On earth and in heaven. He connected the two. So when he said to pray, I want you to pray this way. I want you to pray, Jesus... Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. But you weren't always taught that. You were taught that the earth is just going to be, I'm choosing my words right here. Uh, yeah, the earth's going to be bad. There. The earth's going to be bad, and then someday we'll get to heaven, that'll be good. I promise you heaven's better than earth, but he still said to pray this way that your kingdom would come and it would be on earth just like it is in heaven. That's his agenda. That's his agenda. So now, 
We're disciples. We're ambassadors. How are we going to do that? Go over to Mark chapter 16. Oh, man, I could hurry for that. Where does the time go? Or, no, well, I said Mark chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Are you with me? Matthew chapter 16. We've got to hurry. Turn faster. Matthew 16, and we'll start reading in verse 17. Anybody love Jesus? Yes. Verse 17 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, you just learned how to hear from the Father. Good job, Peter. And verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. Change his name from Simon to Peter. And on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will build my church. I will build my church, he said. Now, the word church there is the Greek word ekklesia or ekklesia, however you want to pronounce it. It comes from a root, a root word that comes from two that means ek and kaleo. It means called out of. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, in English, we think about a building. We think about a place to come and worship, but that's not what he said. Jesus could have used a word that meant building that the Jews would have connected with. He could have said, I will build my synagogue or I will build my temple, but he didn't use that word. He used ecclesia, and ecclesia was a secular word. It was not a churchy word. It was a secular word, and this word ecclesia means a legislative assembly or governing group of people. Now, don't miss this. Called out, having authority to make government-type decisions to change the culture of a region to match the culture of the one who empowers them. I got to read it again. Jesus said, I'll build my ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia. My ecclesia. When he said my ecclesia, he was distinguishing his ecclesia from other ecclesias. See, when you use the word church, then it doesn't work. It's like I'm going to build my church versus other churches. Churches aren't against churches. He wasn't using the word church. He said, I will build my ecclesia, which is a governing group of people. Notice what it says. I'll read it again. Governing group of people called out having authority to make governmental type of decisions to change the culture of a region, to match the culture of the one who empowers them. Here's the thing we've got to realize. Ecclesia is not just a place we worship. It is not a place of meeting. It is an enforcer of the government of the kingdom. It is our functional assignment. It's the restoration of the dominion mandate that God gave in Genesis chapter 1. We've got to realize that there are other ecclesias vying for the movement or the pressing in of their agenda. It's important for us to realize. There are not just one ecclesia. Jesus said, I'll build my ecclesia. But my ecclesia is going to come into contact with other ecclesias. They have their own agenda they're going to try and influence culture with. So my ecclesia empowered to influence culture, not hide from culture, influence it, is going to run into resistance and opposition of other ecclesia trying to influence and empower their agenda, their culture. So we've got one agenda of culture versus another agenda of culture. Who's going to win? Notice what he says, my, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of Hades. Why does he say gates of Hades? He didn't say the gates of hell. 
important for us to understand. He didn't say gates of hell for a reason. Hell is not Satan's home base. Hell is Satan's place of eternal punishment. When he talks about gates of Hades, he's talking about spiritual demonic authority. So he's saying to me, he's speaking to me in this way, saying, my ecclesia, the one that I'm empowered, they're supposed to go influence and change culture to match the kingdom of heaven. And they're going to run into another ecclesia of the kingdom of darkness. But just rest assured, Chad, my ecclesia will prevail over the kingdom of darkness. So it doesn't mean I won't have opposition. It doesn't mean everybody's just going to bow and say, oh, we want to do what the Christians want to do. It just means that they will not prevail against me. If God be for you, who can be against you? Come on, Mount Carmel, who's hearing me? See, this is what he's given us, this encouragement. My ecclesia as opposed. So we're not trying to hide. We focus too much on the agenda of the enemy instead of on the assignment of the ecclesia. Well, the devil's doing a lot of stuff nowadays. The devil's doing the devil. You know what's happening in culture? I'm telling you what, the culture's just going to pot. (laughs) Run around the track. There's lots of stuff happening. But here's what we got to remember. If we're believers, we've been empowered by Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So we're part of the ecclesia. So now our assignment is to influence culture in all seven mountains of influence. So we don't come out of the church and go, whew, that's a great sermon. I hope I can make it till next Sunday. No. God's purpose for you was not to insulate you from the world, but for you to infiltrate into the world in all seven mountains of influence and begin to bring the culture of the kingdom to this place. Now, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do it? Look at verse 19. We got to get here. Oh, Jesus, because look at your neighbor and say, we coming. We coming. We ain't backing down. We coming. We ain't hiding. We're coming. Verse 19, and I will give you, this is Jesus talking, and he's, oh, Jesus. And I, I feel the spirit of the Lord. Verse 19, Jesus said, I will give you, insert your name there. Insert your name. I will give you, Chad. I will give you, insert your name. I will give you the keys. Somebody say keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys of what? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys. What's the keys represent? Keys represent authority and access. I've got some keys here. And keys allow me access. They allow me a little bit of authority. I can get into places. A keys, if it's a device used to unlock or lock something, it's a means of gaining or preventing entrance. If I have a key, then I can lock a door and no one can get in it. If I've got a key and I don't want some, someone to get in, I can lock the door and they're not going to get in it. If I have a key and I come up to something that's locked, I can unlock it and I can get in it. So a key not only gives me access, it prevents the wrong thing from getting in. I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Given you, you, I want to give you my key. Pull out your keys and look at it. And you can say, I've got the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. Jesus gave me the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So what can I do? I have access. I have authority now that I can unlock my way into things God wants for me. I can lock things. How do we do it? Oh, go to the next part. I'll give you the keys. What are we going to do with them? 
Remember also a key. I forgot this part. It's a piece of information that provides a solution or controls the operation of something. A key is also a strategy. A key is also a strategy. Oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to change the culture at my office? God's giving you the keys to do it. He's giving you a strategy. How am I, how am I going to turn my, my kids around? My kids gone south on me. How am I, God's going to give you supernatural strategies. He's giving you the keys. How, how am I going to overcome this addiction? How am I going to overcome the keys? You've got authority and you've got strategy how to do it. So what do we do once we have the keys? He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Whatever you bind. Somebody say you bind. <laughs> whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind. So Jesus was saying to me, he's saying to you, whatever you bind. I give you the keys. Now whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Why? Because the authority connects both realms. This is important. So what does the word bind mean? The word bind means to exercise authority over something on the basis that it is not legitimate. To prohibit, to not allow, to not permit something. This is Jesus talking. This is not religion 101. This is Jesus talking. This is not a certain church doctrine. This is Jesus telling you and I how to operate as a soldier on the earth. So I've given you the keys. And he said, "Here's I want you to exercise authority on the things that are not legitimate, that are not, pro, not allowed, not pro, not, uh, that you should prohibit those. And to loose. Loose means to exercise authority over the basis of things that are legitimate. Notice what's happening. Let me read it to you out of the New American Standard Version. I think it translated, translates it a little bit better. Because some people get a little nervous when you talk about you can bind and loose things. Here's what 19 says. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Notice the exchange. There's a binding and there's a loosing. How do I know what to loose, Chad? How do I know what to bind, Chad? We have to have a relationship with the Word of God and with heaven so that I know what is allowed in heaven and what's not allowed in heaven. And when I come across something that's not allowed in heaven that comes up against my, my life, I say, wait a minute. I've got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And my Bible says that you're not allowed in heaven. So if you're not allowed in heaven, you're not allowed in my life. I bind you. I bind you, but we can't stop with binding. Because if I just know what to bind, I don't know what to lose. Why is that important, Chad? Because a lot of times we know what to stop doing. We know what we're doing wrong. We know what's not good. I know I shouldn't do that. How many times have I heard that, Pastor Jad, I know I shouldn't be doing that. I know I shouldn't. I know I should. So we know what to bind, but the key is not in the binding alone, but it's in the loosening of the good thing we need to replace it with. Because if I only bind the wrong thing and don't loose the right thing, the emptiness in my life will remain and the enemy will come back and want to fill that back again. But when I bind the lie of the enemy and I bind fear over my life, but then I can't just bind fear and try and stop having fear. I bind the effects of fear and now I loose the courage of God. I loose what God says. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. I loose the love of God over my life. If we're going to operate in this militarily, we've got to realize that God gave you the keys 
to bind up what shouldn't be there and to loose what should. Not under your own authority. It's under Jesus' authority, under the authority of heaven. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.